Welcome to the Mothers You Know podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a place where we as women remember the spirit God gave us. We know how much we matter and we believe all things are possible to them that believe on this Savior Jesus Christ. Here at Mothers You Know, we support the parents of young men in the Sons of Healman and young women in the Daughters of Light programs at Life Changing Services. These programs provide therapeutic and mentoring services for youth struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, pornography, and any other unwanted or difficult behaviors. We offer parent support, training, and resources for mothers and fathers seeking the best way to support their loved one. Any mother is welcome to join in the Mothers Who Know classes support and training. You do not need to have a child in life-changing services to join in. We hope you'll join us. I am Karen Broadhead. I serve as the director of Mothers You Know, and I serve as the parent support specialist at life-changing services. I invite you to join with me and other mothers from across the country in our Warrior Mothers Who Know online support and training group. If you have a child struggling with pornography, depression, anxiety, or other difficult behaviors, you will find a safe and uplifting place to learn from other moms and learn principles and strategies to best support your loved one. Please go to motherswhoknow.org to find the online meeting details. We talk about difficult things here with the intent to shine light in dark corners and to eliminate isolation and shame. We are mothers with warrior hearts who are raising the warriors of this generation. We know we must learn to fight well for ourselves first, then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful that you're here today and I'm so thankful that you have the opportunity today to meet Jamie. I'm already, I always like to pray with the person that I'm doing a podcast with before we get started to invite the spirit to be with us. And I've had the opportunity to just text back and forth with Jamie as we've been preparing to have this interview for her to tell her story and some of the programs she's used at Life Changing Services and and hold this space for her to share what she um, has to share. And I just have been so moved many times as I've considered her and the honor it is for me to, to meet her. And so grateful that you'll have the opportunity to meet her too today. So that's where we're gonna start is just meeting you, Jamie. Them. Hello, Jamie. Hi. Yeah, we just want to meet you. So we'd be like, oh, if I ran into her in a conference or at the grocery store or what's, I was her neighbor, this is what I find out about her. These are the kinds of things she likes and where she, where she's at with her hobbies and what are her experiences like with, does she have any kids and just anything like that. Okay, so my friends call me Jamie. Professionally, my name is Jamil Johnson, but it's good for you to call me Jamie, and that's fine. I have so many hobbies, it's hard to list them all, and my husband 
teases me because he's like, okay, now what? What phase are we in now? So right now I'm really into art. And every morning I wake up around 6, 7 a.m. and I paint before I go to work. And I, I practice and practice because I want to get better at doing like portrait work type things. But I have an art journal and I love to do art therapy type assignments that I find online. And I also like to come up with ones to use at work. So I do that. I love my pets. I have cats and rabbits and I just love bunnies so much. And I love cats so much. I crochet. I play tons of different instruments. Right now I'm learning how to play the harp and using that at work. And I practice two to three hours a day on my harp, but I also play violin and piano. I grew up playing the piano. So I've pretty much mastered that and I've done lots of competitions and things with piano. I taught piano lessons for 20 years until I kind of stopped because it's not feasible to do it now with, I make a lot more doing my other job. I also play with the drums and the guitar and flute and I just, I love collecting. I'm a big collector of many things, art supplies, instruments. I collect Pokemon cards. I'm kind of a nerd. I love to play video games. I have a Nintendo Switch that I like to play. And I'm, I'm just kind of a little bit kind of different in that I just like a lot of different things. I, I speak some Spanish, not super well. I can read it pretty well, but I took Spanish a lot in school. I have three kids. I have a 21-year-old in college. I've got a 17-year-old, and a, he'll be 13 in two days. Wow. And I'm 44. I don't look 44 at all. No, you don't. <laughs> and I know that that's... That's supposed to be a blessing, but sometimes it's hard at work when people are like, did you just get out of school? And I'm like, no, I have, it's, it's been, I think now 11 years experience being a mental health therapist. I love my job and yeah, let me see. I don't know that I can really, nothing else is coming to the top of my mind about that, but. Wow. Is, do you. Is there anything you specialize in, in your therapy? I specialize in trauma. Okay. I pretty much treat almost everything. I don't do marriage counseling and I don't work with developmental disabilities, but I pretty much treat everything else. I have about half my clients are adults and about half are teens and kids. I have two offices. I'm very passionate about my work as a therapist. And so I put a, a lot of money into my practice and I, I give out journals and just lots of different things um, that some people wouldn't do. I have a play therapy room that I call my epic playroom. And it's just full of toys and things 
And I have a lot of art on my walls that I find it's inspiring. And I just try to really create a safe space in my two offices. Mm-hmm. And the, you can see Harry Potter stuff around in the office and lots of candles. And it's just a very zen feeling space. Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about just everything that I choose to put in there. There's a reason for. Wow. And are you located in Utah? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so you must have off- offices that are a distance from each other. No, it's the same. It's the same building. Oh, okay. My rooms are, my two offices are right next to each other. It's just, if, if I have a child come in for therapy, I usually start by having them come into my normal, regular office and I will read a book or two to them and teach them a short little lesson. And then I'll take them into my play therapy room. And then we do the rest of the therapy in there. Oh. If I have an adult, then we usually just stay in my regular office. Okay. Wow, that's so neat. You know, it's hard to find a good therapist for children. And, mm-hmm. you know, one that does play therapy. And yeah, that's a difficult thing to to find and so that's really fun to just know we just we're meeting one right now and you know how many moms are going to listen to this (laughs) (laughs) my my husband teases me because I'm getting packages all the time and he's like do you really need that for your office and I'm like yes I what what I don't need that negativity in my life yes I need it it's pretty funny (laughs) so good and so what's, what do you and your family like to do together? We like to play board games, card games. My husband loves watching movies and he really loves reality TV, but I'm not, I used to watch a lot of TV and the last couple of years, I just really don't enjoy watching TV that much anymore. I do really love the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. But I just, i rather be painting. I just, it, it seems a little boring. I, I can watch TV if I'm crocheting or something. I feel like I have to be doing something while I watch the TV. Or I feel like I'm wasting time. <laughs> I was just making a comment yesterday to my husband. You know what? This is going to sound really weird. But if we just had a plan for what? Uh, what we were going to watch on TV, I would feel better about watching TV. But when I just think I'm going to watch TV and then I sit down and we scroll through a bunch of stuff to decide what we're going to watch, it makes me think I'm like, I'm, it's even more of a, like wasting my time or it doesn't make any sense. But if it's like, we totally want to watch this, we're going to go watch that. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Anyway, but I said, it's kind of like, I want to plan to watch TV. <laughs> Just watch TV. Yeah. So, oh, so good. And so, all right, let's see. Yeah, it's just, if you people who are listening could see Jamie, you would not believe it when she said she was 44, because truly you look like you're in your, oh my goodness, like mid 20s. For sure. Like you just really look like so young. And so 
what is that like for you with your kids? Because you have adult children, right? You have um, well, you have one adult child. Yeah, yeah. There was lots of times I would go to pick up my kids from from junior high and high school. This is before they had the policy that you show your ID. So now, now it's just like everybody has to show your ID, but this is before then. And they, they would tell me a parent has to pick up the child. A sister can't. And I would go, I am the parent. And they would say, can we see your ID? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, seriously. So, I mean, it's good. It's, it's good because, you know, we do want to look young, but there, there are pros and cons. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's so awesome. And so. Let's see, how many years have you been married? I'm not completely sure. This is the kind of thing that my husband keeps track of, which I know is like kind of no. contrary to the usual. It's been like 23 or 24 years. I'm not yeah. totally exactly sure. Looks, you know what? You and I are the same in that way. I, I'm the same way. I'm like, how, how many years have you been married? And I can kind of guess like within a year or two or, and I just had a birthday and I had to say, how old am I this year? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not very good with that kind of thing. Like my husband is the one who reminds me that it's our wedding anniversary, not the other way around. Okay. And how did you meet your husband? I met him at the Institute at Weber State. We were both in the same choir and he asked me out and I said, yes. And yeah. And you, you guys matched. Yeah. We've dated for a year and he proposed exactly a year. Well, I don't know if it was exactly a year to the date, but it was the same dance a year later okay that he proposed to me wow wow and it is so phenomenal to hear all the things that you are interested in all the hobbies and collecting and things you have the instruments that you can play like it's amazing to me and you it's fun yeah that is so fun I mean I just think I think it'd be fun to just come to your office or come to your house and look at all your stuff <laughs> right yeah. it it's kind of messy actually but <laughs> i i love i love colors and i if if something has lots of different colors then i want all the different colors that's so cool yeah and you know what your eyes have i just think it's kind of neat that you're you have a young look about you you have all these interests and talents you use them with some intention, like deliberately practicing them and getting up early and, and like you have some childlike thrill for a 44-year-old woman, right? This childlike thrill that you would kind of expect somebody else to have when they're younger, just, you know, doing all these different things. And, but to be in your mid-40s and to feel so centered just kind of like settled in yeah I like all these things and they all bring me joy and I do them on purpose and I like them and but your eyes have a kind of a childlike excitement look to them like they're so beautiful but they look like I believe you like it, 
just by looking at your eyes. I believe that that is what you do. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, um, yeah. And Jamie, do you mind if I share what you're wearing on your head? I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, go ahead. So awesome. So yeah, Jamie sent me a picture recently and she also shared some of her paintings with me, which I was so thrilled to see just through text. But, and then today she showed up with this same kind of thing. It's a warrior crown. Is that what it's called? Kind of a tiara, but I, I call it my princess warrior crowns and I have a collection of them. And sometimes when I'm having a hard day, I will put one on and wear it around the house. It's beautiful. And yeah, if you gals can picture those really neat movies with lots of scenery and lots of women who are, you know, they're kind of like warrior ladies, but they also are like back in the, would it, would it be Renaissance? What would it be? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like elvish kind of yeah-like things. Yes, that. Lord of the Rings, Elvish. Yes. Yes. Got it. Beautiful. So it kind of like sits right on her head and then it right in the front at the top of her forehead, it comes down kind of in this point, but it's just so sculpted and beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. All right. Ah, well, Jamie, I would just love to know. I want you to tell your whole story, but I want you to just start where you want to start. And one of the things I will ask for sure is like, how did you find the resources at Life Changing Services and what made you interested in, in them? Okay, well, I'll just give kind of a quick little rundown of my life and how I found Life Changing Services. I was born into a family that was a very abusive family. And I started being abused from a very young age. It's kind of hard to know exactly for sure when you're trying to remember things so young. But I've been told that for the kind of diagnoses I have, it usually starts like around three-ish or before. And I was sexually abused and physically abused and emotionally abused and ritualistically abused, which is um, kind of a satanic cult type use. And because of the severeness of the abuse, I developed what is now called DID, which stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder, but it used to be called Multiple Personality Disorder. Now, I did not discover that until much later. When I was younger, I was always aware of having different, what we call alters or parts, but I, I kind of just thought they were my imaginary friends. And I just kind of thought that was something I never outgrew. And because of the things that I went through, which is why I reached out to life-changing services, is I developed an addiction that was really a programmed addiction. So the people who abused me would make me sexually act out, which is basically masturbating, but in a self-harming way. So they would basically torture me until I would 
do that and they would watch, which is very perverted and just awful. And I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing growing up. I just knew that I felt compelled that I had to. And all the while doing it, I would be reinforcing these messages that the abusers had taught me that I was bad, that I was evil, that I was broken, nobody wanted me, that if anybody found out my secrets, I'd be excommunicated and all sorts of other awful threats and things that they told me. And part of being multiple personality is you remember, but you don't. <laughs> so I would kind of remember that I just really thought that these things happened to someone else. And I just thought I had a really morbid imagination. And the other parts would basically hold the abuse for me. I would switch. Another part would be out. It would get, I would get abused in that personality state. And then I would switch back to my other host personality and have no memory of the event, but I would still have the behaviors still. And I didn't know why I would do the things that I do or why I was so depressed, why I was so anxious, why I was so scared. I knew that I was afraid of my parents and brothers and things. I just didn't have all of the answers why. Um, going through high school was just very, very difficult because my depression was so bad that um, I pretty much wanted to die every day. Mm -hmm. And every day I would be kind of faced with, okay, is today going to be the day? And I really felt the spirit at that time. I loved seminary. Seminary was just my safe haven. Mm -hmm. And I would go and I would kind of consider the plans I had to die. And the spirit would kind of say to me, what if tomorrow is the day that you heal? What if tomorrow is the day that you get the answer that you're looking for? Can you go just one more day? And I would say, well, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can go one more day. And I, I pretty much got through high school doing that every single day. I would go, okay, today I can't take it anymore. And I would face that question and I would go, okay, I, I will tomorrow. So I will, I will make it one more day. And I just really feel like now that I look back on it, it was so, so hard when it happened. But now that I look back on it, I just know that Heavenly Father was, was carrying me in, in different ways that was helping me. I found out after I got married that I had the DID because I finally found a therapist who figured it out. And then I started really, I couldn't really start healing until I found that out. And then I knew what to do because up until then, I didn't know what all these crazy things were happening to me. And I didn't know what they were. And now I had answers. And so I had someone who was competent, who knew what to do and how to help me. Mm -hmm. I guess I should mention going to therapy was super hard for me because my family was very against it. My husband was very supportive. I just want to just say that 
I grew up in a family where therapy was considered evil. And I was told, if you go to therapy, you'll get excommunicated. I mean, they had reasons for telling me that, mm. that it's very evil and it's horrible and it will make you doubt your faith and you'll leave the church and then you'll go to hell, basically. And so when I first started going to therapy, it was a huge leap of faith and it was by inspiration and Heavenly Father and the Spirit just saying, you need to go. It's going to be okay. And me really taking a leap of faith because I was really terrified of what would happen if I went. Totally. And how did you, how did you find yourself in a safe enough place with the message of your family to do that? I was 18 years old and I had an amazing piano teacher and I was talking to her one day and she had a nephew who worked at the Weber State Counseling Department. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, he's a safe guy. I know him. He's my nephew. You know, he he will be able to help you. And personally, in my mind, I just thought, no, therapists, they torture you and do all sorts of things because that's what I had been told. Yeah. But I left her. I left. It was late at night and I left her house and I sat in my car and I heard distinctly a voice, almost like it was coming from the backseat of my car. And it completely said the whole entire poem of The Road Less Traveled. And at the time, I did not have that poem memorized. I, I did not, I knew part of it, but I did not know the whole thing. But this voice just said it so clearly. And the voice asked me, what, what path are you going to take? Mm. And I said, well, I'm going to take the one less traveled. And so I just knew that I was going to go to therapy. So I had to do it in secret. So I went and saw a therapist in secret for six months without my parents finding out while I was living at home. Wow. And that was kind of the start of me learning that therapists were not what I thought. Right. And all you do is talk when you go. I mean, I thought all these horrible things happen when you go. And when you go, you just talk and that's it. And that really shocked me because I just really didn't know what to expect. But yeah, so a lot of things happened in between me finding out I was DAD until I came to life changing services. I had the unfortunate thing happen that I did get abused by a therapist, which was awful. Mm-hmm. And that went, on, that went on for a couple of years until... I finally realized that it was abusive and they were actually arrested. It was and had criminal consequences and consequences for their licensure and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard after that because it was in a group setting for me to even think of group therapy because I was terrified of group therapy. And I went along and I decided at one point, I'm going to get my master's degree. I want to be a therapist. And I had healed quite a bit up to that point where I felt like I can do this now. Because before then, I thought I'm, I'm too broken. There's no way I can be a therapist. But 
the spirit had other plans for me. Mm-hmm. And so I got into my master's degree, went through that. And I was at my first job being a therapist and I discovered the book, Like Dragons Did They Fight. Okay. One of the, my coworkers showed it to me and I was interested in it and I read it mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. This is now, this has been 10 years ago that I first saw the book and I thought, boy, you know, there's some interesting things in here. I don't know what quite what to do with it yet, but so I just kept on going along with my job. I think a few years later, I had heard of the Sons of Helaman program, and I think I looked up online, but I don't think at that time there was anything else available. And so I just kind of had it in the back of my mind, and I kind of was a little frustrated because I'm like, why isn't there something for someone like me? And then about, it's been about 18 months ago, I just had the feeling to check again. And so I checked again and I saw that there was some other programs available and I sent in an email and I said, you know, I have this problem with masturbation. I've never looked at porn. I've never had a problem with that. Is there something for me? And they referred me to what was Daughters of Light, but now is Warrior Women of Light. Right. Believe. So they referred me to that program and I was terrified because it was a group setting and I had not good experience with that. But Heavenly Father, I felt like told me it would be okay. And just to take it a little bit at a time and go slow. And so I started going to that and found that everybody was super supportive and just very understanding and there, there was no judgment and everybody was just so loving. I was really surprised because at first I was like, are these people for real? Like nobody is loving. I've never been to a group therapy where everybody was so caring that genuinely cared about each other and the longer I was there and it didn't change I realized no this is for real they're not faking they really do care about each other and I've you know I've learned that group is a safe place it's it's really that was just a fluke in my life and this is the real deal Wow. That is so neat. That's so, and just the word love, everyone's so loving. And is this for real? No, to, it's one thing to have someone in your life that you think they are very loving. But when you have like several people who are always consistently bringing that spirit of love and they're just really supportive. Like a lot of the work I do is with the mothers, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the parent support specialist. And so, yeah, but I couldn't agree more. Like just the miraculous healing that happens through that connection. That's really caring and consistent and intentional and 
other women not judging at all, but just being so appreciative and um, just happy that you are here to to try to, you know? It's yeah. Wow. And so what are some of the things in that group that you just have really appreciated besides the connection? I think a big thing is the accountability of being able to say, okay, whether I had a loss battle in the last week or I didn't. And I decided, you know, when I joined the group, I'm going to be very honest. I'm not going to lie. There's no reason to do that. And so I began to learn all the different tools that they were offering, like the border patrols, which was a really big thing for me, which consisted of saying your prayers in the morning and writing in a journal. And it was really reading scriptures, but because I'm, I'm a ritual abuse survivor, scriptures are pretty, they can be pretty triggering. And so we kind of worked around and said, okay, well, can I watch Book of Mormon videos or can I, right now I'm like listening to general conference talks like five minutes at a time. And I found that that felt safe for me and it still was giving me that peace that I needed, that spiritual boost in the morning. And that really just kind of helped strengthen me day to day, feeling the spirit and having that, we call that kind of being our armor when we feel attacked with the thoughts that come in our mind and the cravings and things like that, that come from Satan of how to fight back. So cool. Yeah. And so can you give us some examples, just one of your, maybe one or two of your go-to tools that is a, like a fighting back tool, like a weapon of light that you would use besides your border patrol? Some of the things I found really helpful are to, if I'm at home, is to interact with my animals, to hold my cats and to hold my bunnies or to do art or to play my instruments. One of the things that was really hard for me that was kind of atypical, I was told, for recovery is that when I was abstaining from doing what I, you know, the masturbation and stuff, I would actually have physical like triggers happen. Like I would start shaking. I would dry heave. I would be in a ton of pain in my joints, in my legs, in my, and that was just kind of what we call body memories from the torture that I had sustained as a child. And so I would feel like I was going through physical withdrawals, almost like I was, it was a substance. Mm -hmm. So I really had to work hard to use these other weapons to defend myself, like holding my animals, 
or saying a prayer or doing push-ups or doing some exercise or moving my body. Sometimes it was, if it, sometimes it would happen at work and I would start shaking in between sessions and I would just go outside and walk around the building and touch the trees and the leaves and the grass and ground myself for my body to calm down. And those were just really kind of vital for me to be able to have battles that I was winning because of how, because my story is just a little bit more complex than some pieces. Yeah. What are some of your go-to thoughts that help you to maintain your stability and your groundedness? My therapist tells me this, this one to repeat, and that is, it's going to be okay. I'll find a way just for today. And so sometimes I would just repeat that over and over again. It's going to be okay. I'll find a way just for today. And then I would just think, okay, I'm just going to take it maybe five minutes at a time or an hour at a time or a day at a time. And repeating things like that or lyrics to different hymns or I would listen to, I have like, a little church list of music on my iPad that I turn on in between sessions sometimes, or even reciting. We have kind of a thing that we recite in group at the beginning. And sometimes I would recite parts of that. Mm -hmm. And that would just really kind of help get my mind back on track and not listening to the negativity that I was hearing. Yeah, I would imagine that, yeah, well, I guess I have a question if we could go back just a little bit. Yeah. When you found out that you were, you know, that you, you, these weren't just your imaginary friends, that they were actually personalities that had um, come up to really protect you, to help you to, to show up in the life that you had to show up in. But when you look back, um, like how old were you when you said you found a really good therapist and they were able to say, this is what this is. That's what that is. I really think I was seeing an intern before I got married and I had moved to the University of Utah to go to school. And that's really when my life kind of fell apart to be honest. Up until then, I had been a straight A student. I had gotten a 4.0 the entire time from junior high, clear through high school until like the last two quarters. And then I got a 3.9. I mean, I just, I dealt with things by being a perfectionist and by doing everything perfectly. I practiced the piano hours every single day. I memorized scriptures. I had all the masteries. I was on seminary council. I was just like very straight arrow. And then I went to the University of Utah. My depression at that point was so bad that they just kept putting me on more and more medications. And because of how medicated I was, I couldn't get out of bed. 
and I started missing classes and I flunked that. I pretty much flunked that whole year of college. And at one point I had to be hospitalized because I was too suicidal and was not safe. But I think at that time is when I really started noticing all of these symptoms of DID because I would find things in different handwritings. I would find things that I would go to do my homework and it would be done. And I had no memory of doing it. I would, and I would tell my therapist this, I would go, you know, I was doing fine in math and now I can't remember a single thing I've done this whole entire term. And then I would flunk the final test. I just, I think she suspected and I started telling her that there's voices and they have different names and I don't know what's happening to me. And she didn't, she didn't really say anything, but I think she knew. I just really suspect that she knew. And then the therapist I had after her, she was a little bit more vocal about suspecting that I had DID. And then she actually referred me to somebody who specialized in it. Okay. He's the one who said, yeah, you definitely do have DID. And it, at that point, it was just a matter of kind of increasing communication between the different parts of me so that I wasn't losing time because you can lose time when you have different parts coming out and then you kind of black out, but you're not really blacked out because there's a part who's conscious. Right. it's kind of a complex disorder, For sure. but I learned who they were. I, the process of healing is to find out what the different parts are holding, what memories and to process those memories. If they have any destructive behaviors, it's to reteach them how they can behave now that they don't have to do their old job anymore. They did that to survive. Right. And they don't have to do that anymore. Now they can do more healthy things. Mm. The more that I worked with them, then they, it wasn't something that I forced or that I tried to do. It's just that when a part solved what they had, they just integrated back into me and became part of the host personality. And so I had many of these that just integrated into me. And I was becoming more of a whole personality the longer that I went. So I guess to answer your question, I think I got married at about 21 or 22. And I found out about six months later that I had DID for sure, which I was actually excited to find out because I finally had a name for it. I wasn't excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, DID because nobody wants that. But I was just so excited that someone finally knew what was wrong with me because I felt like I was going crazy Yeah, and that someone knew how to heal it. It's so huge. That's so huge. And, you know, you had every reason to just feel afraid to not, to not keep trying, keep finding answers, especially when it got so low for you to to keep pressing into, I really, I got to figure this out. Yeah. So it wasn't until after you were married that you realized this is what happened to me when I was a child. I started remembering a lot of the memories, which 
is kind of a surreal experience because kind of when you remember, you realize that you never forgot, which is hard for me to explain unless it's happened to you sure. because, because I really just didn't remember. But once I remembered, I, I really did. It's just that I was denying it so hard. Yeah. Well, and you had, oh, I don't know. It just seems like when you have a culture, a religious culture that you've grown up in, right? And you're all these messages about it. And then you've leaned into the academically strong, religiously strong, just really, you know. And so, I don't know, with just a religious culture, you know, with being a Latter-day Saint and that being your culture, it would be, you know, I'm checking all the boxes. I'm doing as many and as well as I can do on all of those things, right? So it'd be hard to to see something that was off until it was really off. My, my family, with besides all the abuse that happened, my my growing up was very traumatic, even if you take the abuse out, because my father was a consultant to foreign countries, and he almost died multiple times when I was growing up. There would be times that he would be missing for a month at a time. We wouldn't know if he was dead or alive. Wow. And, and so... Just like my normal everyday to day things, my brother ran away from home and was missing for a year. My mom was extremely emotionally abusive, which I never did forget. My mom got cancer. She passed away when I was about 22. Um, it was just growing up without even the abuse was already hard enough. And so I kind of, I was just a very positive person. Mm -hmm. And whenever these things would happen to me, I would just think to myself, this is going to make a great story one day. Like this is going to be one of those things where I like stand up in sacrament meeting and like, I'm like, have like this great story. And I would try, even in my tears, I would try to tell myself, you know, how many people have had their dad disappear for a month? I mean, this is like, this is, this is exciting, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't exciting, but that's how I got through it. How I got through it was like, oh, come on. How many people have had this happen to them? I mean, come on, just be grateful. It, it was just, I did whatever I could to try to stay positive, even though I was just severely depressed. So it was kind of this like contrary, like battle in myself of like feeling like I was just disgusting and horrible and the lowest of the low at the same time I was like oh we can do this come on and it was always with a we attitude I just always was thinking Kate we can do this you know I've got you and you and you and you and I don't know who you are but we're gonna pretend and I just relied on the spirit and I just kept trying wow Wow, that's amazing. So miraculous, really, when you consider your story, right? Just so miraculous. It's miraculous. It's a miracle. Yeah, I think 
sometimes it's hard for me to realize that, but I, I do realize that because there's a lot of things that I can do that some people who have had my background cannot do. And I really believe that that is because of my just being strong with reaching out for the atonement. And this isn't to say that anybody else is not spiritual or unworthy or anything like that, but just that I know without a shadow of a doubt that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are real, that that the atonement is real, and that if they can heal me, they can heal they can heal anything. I know there's people who have worse histories than me, but I know mine is kind of severe as stories go, and they really can heal anything. I know that's one of the messages felt really strongly as we were talking before we started recording was just that message of your hope for even sharing your story because it's not an easy story to share, right? No. No, I worry about people judging and thinking, oh my gosh, she's a therapist. She's freaking crazy. But I hope that people will kind of look at this as that I'm real. Yeah. That I have struggled through things. I know what I'm talking about. I know what it's like to be suicidal. I know what it's like to feel hopeless and broken and like there's absolutely nothing that can fix this. And I know what it's like to not trust therapists. I know how hard it is. I know <laughs> just, I, I have so many different experiences that have helped me be able to be compassionate towards people in a lot of different situations. Wow. Yeah. And so just the hope was that you mentioned before the recording was that your hope is that the people that are listening maybe can be thinking, I have a really difficult circumstance that I didn't have any control over. And now I have these wounds from it. Now I suffer these kinds of things in my life as a fallout of the things that maybe happened to me that happened because other people used their agency like that. And I was in the crossfires of all of that. But them just noticing that somebody with a story like yours, believing that Jesus Christ is the healer and that anything can be healed through him, that they might be able to kind of push back against Satan's lies that would say, yeah, it's hopeless for you, right? Yeah, because he can feel, he can feel so real. And I think that's one of the things I learned through the program is all of these messages that I'm hearing are not coming from me. I thought they were coming from inside me, that I was beating myself up and to learn that no, actually Satan is the one behind all of this negativity and all of this saying that you're bad and you're evil and repeating all of these lies from the abusers from my past. That is not me. I would not talk to myself that way. 
I would talk to anyone that way. And recognizing how strong he is in my life, but that I can fight back. I don't have to believe. And, you know, he does try to say things that have a little bit of truth to them. So they do feel believable. And I was bullied a lot growing up. I just, it was really hard. And so him saying, you know, people don't like you. They think you're weird, you know, all this. And I would have all of this like, yeah, well, this instance and this instance. And it feels like God is not there for me because I prayed for the abuse to stop and it wouldn't stop. And all of those things, you know, that Satan says kind of seem true, but there's something about them that just makes it kind of. It's a little twisted and recognizing that more now from the program of how to recognize what the truth is. Yeah, that's so huge when you can see that. Yeah, not every voice in your head is a trusted voice. And so what did the trusted voice sound like, right? It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's complicated because I already have so many voices in my head anyway. So it's just knowing, okay, this is not another part of me. This is Satan. And being able to recognize the spirit and know which is which. Mm -hmm. And that's been something the program has kind of helped me do is be able to go, okay, that's not another personality. That is Satan. And I don't. I don't have to listen to him because Heavenly Father says, yeah, he can bruise my heel, but I can crush his head. Yeah. You're the crusher for sure. Yeah. It's so cool. It's amazing. I just think, um, yeah, so amazing. So I'm just wondering, a lot of people listening will, will want to know, well, is she close to any of her family she grew up with does she have a family besides her husband and her children I kind of cut ties with my family about 10 years ago mm -hmm. I haven't spoken to well there's one that I started speaking with a little bit a couple months ago and I'm starting to kind of talk to that one but my father is in a nursing home at the moment and I don't know how much longer he has, but I haven't talked to him in over 10 years. My mom is deceased. I do have a stepmom who is amazing, but you know, she, you know, she's married to my dad. And of course, you know, I know her allegiance, but she, she does express her love to me very often. And I appreciate that. And I, I do have my husband's side of the family. I'm not super close to them because I kind of get nervous about, I kind of have some social anxiety, to be honest. But I, I have really good relationship with my kids. I'm, I'm a very big introvert. I don't, I don't talk to a lot of people. It's easy for me to meet with clients for some reason, and I'm able to talk to them without being afraid and things. But when I go to church, I, I kind of stick to myself, and I don't want to talk to anybody because I'm very, very shy. So I don't really have, like, tons of, like, friendships, but I do feel a lot of support through the group at Life Changing Services and 
that's helped me be able to see that maybe people are safer than I think. And I think the more that I learn that, then maybe I'll come out of my shell more and start to make more friends and more connections. Right. For sure. So good. And how has your story affected your family? Like when you started with, I know that you were working on self-mastery when you found Warrior Women of Light, right? <laughs> but how has your, has your family noticed over the years? I mean, a lot of people too, just because all of us have this huge story if we're married, right? Whatever, whatever I brought to the marriage is part of you now. And whatever you brought to the marriage <laughs> is part of me now, right? So we got to, we got to keep bumping into each other and figure this out, right? There's a lot of that. So I just, how has all of this affected your family, your, your children? Like how open are you with everybody just knows and we, we just navigate this together and it's all, we work on it. I know it was really hard for my husband. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to find out that the person you married has been, he didn't know I had been abused that severely. I'd have to like talk to him again to remember exactly what he thought when, I mean, he knew that I was depressed because he did visit me when I was hospitalized. And that was before we had gotten engaged. And I thought that, oh, he's, he's gone. I, he's not sticking around with this. And so it really surprised me when he said, no, I'm going to be here for you. And I was like, wow, that, that is something. And we've, we've kind of had a rocky go at it. And we did separate for a year, about 13 years ago. And we didn't see each other for a year. And then we got back together and we've been together another. It's because my, my son was just an infant at the time. And we've been together ever since. We go to marriage counseling. We work on things. And I feel a lot closer to him. I feel like we've come a long way. My kids know that I have multiple personalities. They, now that they're older, I didn't like, they didn't know what was going on when they were little, but now that they're older, they know, but I do not switch in front of them. And I, I haven't, I don't like, I do have a couple parts left, but I never switch in front of anybody because I have control over that. And I'm very stable, but I know that my daughter who she's 21, but she, um, recently returned from our mission and she has shared with me just that it was a testimony builder for her listening to me bear my testimony, especially at one testimony meeting that she's like, well, if my mom can have everything that happened to her and still believe because I do have a lot of church trauma to be honest and a lot of my abusers were church members unfortunately and I had to come to terms with that and realize that that is not what the church is yeah those were those people it was super painful and it was really really hard and Sometimes there just isn't any consequences and there will be one day. They will have to answer for what they've done. 
And I believe the church is true anyway. I, the, the doctrine of the church is not to abuse others. That was just the people. It wasn't the church who hurt me. It was the people. Wow. That's really important to you that you said that. Just because we can associate, well, the ideal is this, but my experience is not that the gospel of Jesus Christ ideal. It's the, it's the lower version and I was part of the gospel. And so that's not okay. So this can't be my place to stay, right? Like we have lots of feelings like that. And so for you to be able to separate that, you've just done a lot of work. Yeah, I've gone through the missionary discussions at least twice <laughs> since I've been married, possibly three times. I can't quite remember, yeah. but I have not, you know, I, I said that I was super strong growing up and I was, but I had parts of me who were not. And I've had periods of time in my life where I just kind of stopped going to church for a while and I felt like it was too triggering to be at church and it was really hard. Yeah. And so at those times, I took the missionary discussions and tried to clear up a lot of misconceptions because my family did teach me a lot of falsehoods about the gospel and the abusers taught me a lot of falsehoods and used scriptures for their own personal gain and twisted them around. And I had to relearn that stuff. And it was really, really hard. And I was able to get through that, though. And, you know, despite everything that's happened, I've had some good bishops. I've had some horrible ones. You know, it's just what happens. And again, like I said before, that's not what the church is. You know, every, not, people are imperfect. And. The gospel is so much more than what we unperfect people do. Amen. Yeah, that's so true. So, so awesome. Well, if you were to share some of your experiences that stand out in your mind that are, this is how I know what I know about who the Savior is about, you know, Heavenly Father's plan and that he helps us work his plan. And what, what are some of the things that you would say, other than you had Robert Frost in your back seat telling you the... Yeah, there are times where pretty much Heavenly Father saved my life over and over. The Spirit saved my life. There was one point in the abuse where I won't get into why all this happened, but I was hanging from a tree and I had a rope around the middle of my kind of holding me up from my stomach area. And being a little kid, I thought I need to get down from this tree. And I started to kind of wiggle and try to finagle my way to get this rope off. And I got it to where it was kind of up under my armpits and I was taking my arms out and I heard a very distinct voice say, Jamie, stop. And 
looking back on it now, I realized had I kept doing that, I would have hung myself. Mm. Not meaning to, I was just trying to get, get out. But I just know that that voice just saying, don't do anything, just stay where you are. Mm. Other experiences that I can think of, especially like in the program, I've just been where I've been in so much pain from the withdrawals Mm -hmm. where I just felt like I can't bear this anymore. Mm -hmm. Suddenly my cats would surround me, which they don't normally do. Mm -hmm. Or there were some times when I felt the spirit say, that's enough. I'm going to take this from you. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the pain stopped. And that I've been told is because of my faith in Christ that that pain is being removed at that time. And it, he hasn't done that every time, but it has happened a couple times when he has just taken it. I also recall just the mercy and patience and loving that our Heavenly Father has is I remember being a teenager about 15 or 16, and I remember praying about my difficulty with the addiction and just saying, Heavenly Father, I will do anything that you want me to do. I, I, you know, anything you say, but please don't make me tell my secret. Just, I'll do anything, but don't make me tell anybody, please. And at that time, just hearing a voice just so distinct saying, Jamie, you don't have to tell anybody right now. Now's not the time. But there will come a time when you will want to. Mm. And I kind of, in my mind's eye, kind of saw this day where I was sharing with other people and being courageous and brave. And that I was able to help people and that I willingly wanted to do that despite what people might think of me. Because in my heart, I want so much for people to have what I didn't have. I want them to know that that they are not crazy, that other people go through similar things too. And that there is help for them. There is hope for them. And they can reach out for that help. They don't need to do it by themselves. They don't need to do it alone. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles. Do you think so, Jamie? Like that getting over those thoughts that I'm too different. I'm too alone. I'm too over here and everybody else won't understand. And if I bring that out into the open and put some light on that, all the work I've done to just kind of compensate and move forward in my life, right? Yeah. Will be for nothing. I think that's such a big obstacle that, you know, just be quiet, stay isolated, you know, just do the best you can, but don't get the help. Don't, don't talk to somebody. Don't say it out loud. 
Yeah. How would you encourage someone who's hearing that, right? Because that stories like yours are the kind of stories that definitely people would just feel like it's not just me thinking it's different. I know it's different, right? Yeah. And I, like when I started going to group, I was really worried about that. I was like, what if they find out that I'm DID? Are they going to kick me out? Are they going to say, well, you are too severe for this kind of program. We can't help you. Or, or this is a spiritually based program and you get triggered by spiritual things. So we aren't even going to try to help you. And that is not what happened. The therapist just willingly said, you know, if it's triggering, let me know and I will do whatever I can to help you get through it. Just there is help and there's people who want to help you, any of those that are listening. And I know because, that you know, DID is pretty rare and I know what it feels like to feel different. I know what it feels like to not be the typical story. And that's okay because Heavenly Father knows you. He knows your story. He knows you by name. And you matter. Your story matters. Your unique story matters. No matter if you have a little trauma, a lot of trauma, or no trauma. If it's just curiosity that made you start or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the same principles. It's the same things that help. And people can get through this. But I think it's important that they know that it's not going to work alone. You can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. I tried for, for 43 years by myself. It's not going to work. Yeah. And when you say you tried for 43 years, everybody's thinking she's 44. That means he, 18 months ago, she started Warrior Women of Light. And so when you, and when you were in the t- your teenage years, that's, I'm glad you said that just now, because back there, I was like, I need to clarify when you said, Heavenly Father, just please, I'll do anything. I just don't want to tell my secret. And what you're referring to is just the self-mastery of the masturbation, right? Yeah. That's what you're referring to. Got it. Yeah. And so that is so good because no matter what our story is, Satan is going to say, hide that in a dark corner. Yeah. Hide that in a dark corner and be very afraid to bring that. Well, I think an important part of the program was realizing that I did what's called the line upon line strategy, which is some people just think, okay, if I start this program, I'm never, I'm just going to have to completely stop. And I've tried that before and that hasn't worked for me. And you know, that didn't quite work for me either. And the line upon line strategy is to go a certain amount of days and have a rest day. Mm-hmm. And so to go as many days as you know that you can without and then take a rest day where you do. And then the next time go one more day longer than before. And that was like a really 
important turning point for me to get the self-mastery was because when I was trying to just grin and bear it and just like, no, I'm absolutely not. I just kept having lost battles. And when I changed that to, okay, I'm gonna, I can get through five days. I can do five days, take a rest day. Next time I'm going six days because I know I can do six and take a rest day. That I started line upon line seeing progress and getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And now I'm currently on day 135. Wow. Wow, that just fills me with such a powerful joy and spirit. Just like, just you describing what line upon line means and that it's okay. It's okay to, to literally say the way I'm fighting back is it's going to, it's going to look like we're right where I'm at with a little bit more stretch. Yeah. That's just so huge for all of us in things that we've dealt with for a really long time. Because if the message is, if this is something you've dealt with for a really long time and the message is, stop it. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just not going to work. And another turning point for me was to kind of change. We call it our T goal, which is the thing that we're trying to stop doing. And that was for me to really focus on the self-harm nature of it, because it wasn't just the self-harm in the sexual way, but it was self-harm in cutting. It was self-harm in scratching. It was self-harm in pulling out my hair and just doing all sorts of things where I was injuring my body. And at one point realizing, okay, I need to refine my teagle a little bit better here. And really it's the self-harm nature that I want to stop. Mm. And changing that to, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm not self-harming another, was another turning point in like seeing a lot more success of, okay, I'm going to just refine it a little bit and keep working on it and work on other aspects of it later. Mm. That has helped a lot me be able to get to that 135 days that's amazing to me i have on my wall in front of me the scripture that now you may suppose that this is foolishness in me but behold i say unto you that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass and small and small means in many instances doth confound the wise and the Lord God does work by means to bring about this great and eternal, his great and eternal purposes. And by very small means, the Lord doth confound the wise and bringeth about the salvation of many souls. Yeah, I think that's very true. And when I felt like I should do the line upon line strategy, immediately Satan was like, oh, you're giving up. I'm like... No, I'm just taking this one part at a time. And he's like, but you're losing battles on purpose. I'm like, 
I'm actually going to win more battles this way. This is just taking a different approach to the problem and having successes in smaller bites and gaining strength and strengthening my muscles so that I can go longer and longer and longer and be stronger. That's incredible. And it's wonderful too, when you know that there's a group therapeutic setting that is willing to just meet you where you're at, right? We can meet you right where you're at and, we, and work on figuring out what the small, simple formula is together. But it sounds to me like the spirit just really was also just a really beneficial discerning teacher for you through it all. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a good guide that Holy Ghost is. It is. So good. Oh, I, one of the things I have to say that I just feel so grateful for is, you know, I really love people and I have so much respect and a deep, like, kind of a warrior-spirited, warrior-hearted feeling about people who have hard, face hard, and just keep pressing forward through hard. And then the evidence that I've seen over the years, because I, I have like a handful of women who I know that I think I know your story enough to know that you are a walking miracle. And I've probably served, you know, last count, I think we noticed it was like 2,000 women. Mm -hmm. And I know five-ish that I know that woman is a walking miracle. And not just that level, but just the level of a woman coming and feeling so sad and her countenance so, so weary. And then her hearing truth and having that connection and that love and knowing that she can have all of these high values and still have such a huge mess and that God still totally thinks she's wonderful. Yeah. You know, and how that starts to change her countenance. Like, I just, I think that's one of the greatest gifts is to be able to just have this awareness that, boy, God's atonement, the Savior, and his work that he's done for us is real healing. Like, it really does work. His atonement really did some good work when he did it, but it continues again and again and again and never, ever gets tired. Such a strong testimony that, yeah. That that's a real power and that not just that, but I do think that, like you said, that Heavenly Father literally knows, he knows our name. He knows our story. And boy, does he have a lot of respect for the why we do what we do to survive our stories. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, so good to just, to know that there's help, that he's the ultimate healer and helper. But sometimes when that's all you do is lean into that without saying your story, 
finding some professional help, then it's hard because you can't identify that piece of the adversary and all of his thoughts that he throws in at you. And because those kinds of thoughts separate us from believing that God can help us. It does. I remember I used to think, I know how to repent. I've been taught how to repent. I've not been taught how to heal. Like there are steps to repentance that the church teaches. And I'd be like, how, how, do, how does the atonement work for me if I don't have to repent? And being able to figure that out and just go, does the atonement apply to me too? Because it's not my fault. <laughs> and it does apply to us. And I think the talk, was it by Kieran? Yes. Yeah. The, the talk by Kieran just, just two days ago really pointed that out, that the atonement is to heal abuse. It's not just for repentance and that Christ knows perfectly how to heal his people and that we are his. Mm. He says that you are mine. Yeah. Right here in Graben, right? Right. In the palms of my hands. Like, and I do, I know your name. It makes me think of that scene. From The Chosen. Are you familiar with that series, The Chosen? I've seen a little bit of it. Yeah, one of the first episodes is Jesus healing Mary, who's been possessed of devils, right? Yeah. She's been struggling for years and years. And he sees her in the street and he says, I, I have called you by name. And he says, Mary, because that's not what people called her, but she knew her name was Mary. Right. Yeah. I've called you by name, Mary. And then he says, you are mine. But it's such a powerful scene because you see her struggle, her deep struggle and the abuse she suffers and the things she does that seem to not help at all. Right. But it's what she does to survive her story. And then, and then how him saying, I know your name, like I'm calling you by your name. You are mine. Like, and then, yeah, he takes, you know, takes her into his arms and it's such a healing scene, right? Yeah. It's just so beautiful. So. I think your testimony is that very same thing, you know, like whether you had multiple personalities, you know, that were, I forgot the DID, what does it stand for again? Dissociative Identity Disorder. There you go. So can, can people be like make it short by just saying identity disorder or just dis people usually just call it DID. Okay. Just remember the word did. Oh, yep. <laughs> and I just think that's significant, right? Like no matter what your beautiful little girl self had to do to survive all that, 
you know, and the kinds of wounds it caused, the patterns it caused, and the things that throughout all your life you're trying to think, man, I just really would like to master this. Yeah. But just that's so huge to me thinking of, I think you've said it three times. He knows your name. He knows your story. You know, just, he knows your name. Just that. I wish I had that. It's one of my scriptures I want to memorize in Isaiah, which is that one where he calls, you know, I know you, you're mine. Yeah. Like, I never forgot you. I never left you. I know you and you're mine. And so significant that one of the things that you brought out is that he had a timing for his work. Like just the message you got of, you don't have to tell anybody. It's not time, but you had this little imaginative thought or vision that was like, but someday you're going to want to. Yeah. Yeah. That says right there that God's doing his work in the details of things, but the healing part comes like how many years later, right? It did. It was a lot later. And so many of us think, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing your work? Because this would be better. We've been in this for five years, doing stuff like that. And you're like, no, he is doing his work and he's in the details, but he also knows our story, the timing of things and how perfect it's going to be when we Put the right things together. Yeah. Oh, I love your story. Thank you. I love it. And I honor you for telling it. Yeah. Oh, man. I just honor you for telling it and for sharing it and for, yeah, for doing something scary. That's scary. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Oh. You're so welcome. And let's see, what could our final message of hope be? Jamie, what comes to your mind? Just that I think that God can heal anything. I just keep thinking of that talk where he just said in his awesome accent that he's He's really good at it. In fact, he's perfect at it. <laughs> he did. He had it like a like a European English accent, didn't he? Yeah. He's really good at it. In fact, he's perfect at it. But that thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers Who Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. 
Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. And the Eternal Warriors podcast, hosted by two YSA age young men who share their story, teach valuable lessons, and interview special guests. You can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook under MothersWhoKnow.lcs or search for Mothers Who Know, and on Instagram, username at Mothers underscore who know. Last, if you would like additional support and training, please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week mom power training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers Who Know website at motherswhoknow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services at lifechangingservices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit. Please email me at motherswhoknow at lifechangingservices.org. Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.